Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Miranda Lipton is a freelance writer, photographer, and multimedia storyteller. I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. Miranda, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So our mutual friend, Brian Morgan, introduced us, and um, he mentioned um, your recent success, which is what we're going to talk about. But we're going to talk about earned media today from that freelancer perspective. If you are a freelancer, you'll be interested in this. If you want to engage a freelancer, it might be helpful. So for background, this is how we got connected. You recently published an article in Fast Company about lab-grown fish, and I'll link that article in the show notes. So talk about, first of all, how did that story come about? And um, yeah, how, how'd you get... Well, let's back up. I'm going to start over because I'm not reading my notes right. That's We're going to talk about how that article to... came about and what companies can learn about getting stories into publications and how they can work with a freelancer to make that happen. So you're a food writer and a photographer. Tell us a little bit about your journey becoming a freelance writer. So my journey started in high school um, when I first realized that I was interested in journalism and started writing for the local town newspaper um, at the time. And it was really the subject that interested me most in school at the time. So I thought it would be a natural transition to go and major in journalism at Ohio State. And um, after I graduated, I knew I wanted to do a bit of like a combination pack as far as how I wanted to start my career. I wanted to do some writing, some photo, um, and just kind of dip my toes into different waters. And so I started, um, I started just kind of using the skills I had already with journalism and starting to pitch to different publications and do some online workshops and meet some people and try and kind of figure it out um, along the way. And now I've been doing that for about three years. Nice. All right. So where did you get the idea for this article in Fast Company about lab-grown fish? So I've been focusing a lot on food, um, food sustainability, food innovation for the past couple of years. And I don't remember exactly how the idea came to be, but I assume it was from some research wormhole that I was in where I was looking into um, lab-grown meat, which has been around for a number of years, close to a decade now. And I had seen that there are some new um, innovations in lab-grown fish that haven't really been covered too much because it's so brand new. And that's kind of like a great recipe for, for what makes a good story. Um, so just started looking into that more, started doing some outreach to those companies and thankfully fast company picked it up. And so I got to write it. All right. So how did you approach fast company for this? What was, I mean, obviously you wrote a pitch of some sort, but what did, tell us about that. Yeah. So 
at this point, I, I pretty much have a consistent pitch outline that I use. Um, and so it's kind of the same format of like two to three paragraphs that sums up the story that you want to write. Um, and then it's just figuring out where would be the best place for it to be published in. And I know Fast Company does a lot with, um, with just innovation and new technology and food. So there was a lot of overlap. And um, from there, I just found the editor's email address and, and sent it over. And somehow you got through, because I'm imagining the editor has a whole inbox full of pitches, right? So your outline must be pretty effective. <laughs> well, I think in that case, something that really helped is um, that I've been reading the magazine for years. And so I had a really good sense that this is something that would fit. That doesn't mean they're going to take it, but it gives you a lot higher odds than if you're pitching somewhere that you don't aren't really as familiar with um i think it just gives you a leg up to be able to stand out and say okay this is what you're always publishing i know because i read it and here's something that really fits in well with that i'll just say as an aside to our audience for pitching in general i mean because sometimes i get pitches to be on the podcast and it's very clear when people have actually listened or when they say they've listened, but clearly have not, right? Yes. So it's good to know where you're going. And honestly, if if you don't know where you're going, if you make that mistake, there's your chance is zero. So don't even waste your time without putting in a little effort um, to find out, you know, who they are, who their audience is, right? Um, so at that point, you had to reach out to some companies in the lab-grown fish space. And um, tell us about that. that. What was that like to get them on board? I'm sure. That, honestly, in my experience, um, the, selling the story to the publication is the hardest part. Once you have a story that you're working on, I mean, everyone wants to talk about the work that they're doing. And so I reached out to a number of people on LinkedIn who were at the companies that were in the space that I wanted to talk about um, didn't really necessarily matter what company specifically for this story, at least. Um, so just kind of like casting a wide net. And usually you get people who are very excited to talk to you. Um, and at that point, just lining up a few interviews, making sure I have some kind of variety um, so that I'm getting multiple perspectives on what's going on in the space. Because, you know, for a lot of these stories, this is my first time studying or researching or writing about them. And so it's important that I have a broad range of perspectives. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward just reaching out and seeing who wants to talk. <laughs> yeah. So let's go into that in, in two D two places. So one, any specific kind of person that you're looking for at those companies on LinkedIn? And then um, in terms of multiple perspectives, I guess, did you have in, something in mind? But let's take those one at a time. A lot of times I start with 
researching um, or like typing in some of the keywords on LinkedIn um, with, and then I get the people who are popping up or the people who are actively talking about this space. And so a lot of times those are the CEOs or co-founders at the companies. Um, A lot of times it's someone else who can maybe direct me to the best person to speak with. A lot of times that's what I'll say. I'll say, you look like a great person to speak with on this. If I'm wrong, let me know who would be a better fit. Um, and sometimes that's the PR people at the company. Sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a variety. Um, but that's been a good approach for me to take. And as far as broad perspectives, I, I like to see what's going on internationally. So um, for this story, it was cool to be able to talk to someone who's working on this in Singapore um, because they are the first company that's actually selling already lab-grown fish in restaurants and markets. And that's something that in the States we might not see for another like five years or so. Um, and so it's, it's important, I think, to get that perspective on not just what's going on here, but where can we learn from um, in other places around the world? Yeah, uh, I like both of those things. One, I guess I, I probably would have done it differently and, and not correctly is what I'm trying to say is like <laughs> to go keyword first in a sense and find out who's talking about it. I would have gone looking for companies that I knew did it, but I like the keyword approach because then you see more likely you see actual conversations around that topic and get a, a it's a little wider net probably and then focus in. And then that international perspective, I would not necessarily have thought and maybe you didn't know what to expect when you go to Singapore but I'm thinking if you didn't have that you might get a bunch of companies who were kind of heading neck and neck in a race and then you find out oh there there's somebody that's actually doing this already and that's valuable mm-hmm. for everybody to kind of see what the status of the industry is so that's that's interesting from I'm curious from the life science side, have you gotten any uh, response from the food co- community about lab-grown 3D printed fish? Do you get feedback on those articles from readers at all? Not usually from readers. Um, on rare occasion, someone will reach out and email me. But mostly the feedback I get is just from talking to friends and family who have read um, who have read my writing and um, or just talking about this topic as I'm writing it. And I've definitely, the, the overarching response is like skepticism and people saying, I'm glad this is happening. I won't be trying it. <laughs> so I think there's just a lot of unknowns um, and kind of confusion too, as far as like, what exactly is this that I'm eating? I mean, it just doesn't really compute, I think naturally for us, like, where our food is 3D printed. It's like just bizarre. So I think that that's been the theme so far. Um, but I'm excited to see where more like health research is done in this space over the next few years. I think that will put yeah. a lot more people at ease. That's an interesting thing. And I'm neither, you know, an advocate nor a naysayer on this. I, I'm still kind of neutral and 
a little confused. I did an episode several years ago, not on this podcast, but on the San Diego Biotech Network with the CEO of Blue Nalu. They're making, you know, 3D printed fish as well. And when you understand that there are places in the world where it's hard to get a sufficient supply of protein and overfishing is an ecological problem broadly, then you say, well, it's easy for me who has access to whatever I want to eat any day of the week that you can't have this, right? So, uh, yeah. And it's also thinking down the line a few years, maybe we have this food now to eat, but in five years, will we have fish that is safe to eat? And so even though we can't see that problem now. Right, right. It will be. Yeah. And yeah, so many things with fishing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's another and episode. Just the, the, yeah, right. <laughs> the whole, yeah, health of the oceans and whatever. So what advice would you give companies that don't have big PR agencies working for them about getting this kind of media coverage in the popular or industry press? Um, I would say there's, there's a website called Muckrack and – um, it's basically like a universal platform where um, journalists are featured. Even if you don't sign up, you're like all of the stories that you write and like the topics that you cover are listed on there. And so I know that people have reached out and found me through that website um, just because they're looking for someone to cover like food sustainability or like regenerative agriculture or something. They they type the topics that they focus on in there and you can find journalists who cover those stories speaking for myself i mean it's always such a great email to get where someone is sharing a story with you directly because otherwise that's that's me trying to find the story and so yeah um it's like it's such a win-win i mean i'm working on a story right now um where the company found me through this website um, and they said like we would love to um, you know get some coverage basically on what we're doing um, and for me it's like well you're doing something that I'm interested in and so I'm it's like just a natural fit so I would say yeah journalists are probably I don't know I can't speak for everyone I would say it's a good bet that like you could reach out to someone who who covers your industry and at least be able to have a, a phone call and see where it goes. Right. And I just think it's, it's a good idea for a lot of companies. I mean, um, who may not have the budget for a full on PR agency. Right. But if you can go directly to a journalist like you, who has some contacts getting into the right publications to create some earned media, um, and it works out. It's kind of a win-win for everybody, right? It's a win-win-win. Yes. If someone wanted to work with you, what would what, what does that look like in terms of finding a topic and an angle and a publication? What does that process look like? If, so if I come to you, for example, and say, hey, Amanda, or Miranda, sorry. Uh, <laughs> here's what I'm doing. How do we get this out there? Um. I think 
a lot of it is going to be determined by whether or not I think off the bat that it makes a good story right now because a cool a cool project or like you know something that you're um, that someone is just working on doesn't necessarily make it a good story. Um, so even though you might tell me all about it and I say, wow, that's amazing. If there are a million other companies doing it and there's nothing specifically happening right now that makes it a timely piece, it may just not be the right time. Um, and so a lot of times the story is comes at, at a, a time when something has happened with that company lately, like some, some big news with them, um, or it's something new and different that no one else is doing. Um, and so in that case, um, I, I usually am kind of like directing where, what the angle will be and where the publication will be. But, you know, if anyone came to me with ideas, I'd be all ears. So, but I would say like, there's, there's no need for the company or, or the, the person approaching the journalist to have that in mind already, because usually like that's, that's the natural rhythm that I'm used to thinking in any way. It's like, what's the angle? Where's the publication? I think the main, the main question for like us to figure out is like, is there a story and is this the right time for it? And then I do can you, kind of, yeah. Do you there. have any hints on, I mean, I understand the time thing. There has to be some broader level of attention that people are aware enough to go. I want to know more. You I imagine most of the time. Unless something you're doing is so, you know, thought provoking, which I'm sure right. everybody thinks their stories are, but <laughs> still would have trouble getting traction on. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you have sort of an I We've covered this probably on many podcasts, but the idea of what an actual story looks like. If, if I were to say to you, explain to me what it is that makes a story and not just a piece of news that you're doing something. Mm. Well, there's, I mean, I, I need a refresher on like the, I learned this, you know, in my classes of like what specifically makes a story And there. Are, I think five like kind of pillars um, that, that you can build off. So one of them is timeliness um, and, I think that's an important one because if there is something that you're working on that is, is relevant in some way, even if it's, um, even if it's not specifically to this like three to six month range of time, even if it's, you're working on a climate solution and obviously we need to be like learning and aware of those kind of like from here on out. And so that's something that's always going to be relevant. Miranda Lipton, this has been a treat talking to you today. I thank you so much for sharing um, your story and um, your insights on getting earned media. Thank you, Chris. This is fun. Hey, if you're still listening, that tells me you enjoyed the podcast. But don't tell me. Tell your friends. And I'll be back soon with another episode. Okay, you can tell me too. Send an email. Chris at life science marketing radio.com bye bye